At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a louder cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Now what we see in these verses is the climax of the book of Mark. Everything was moving towards this particular event of the death of Jesus, the reason why he came. He came to die on that cross. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that is the main purpose for everything that Jesus was saying and everything that Jesus was doing. It's to move him towards this momentous climactic event, the most important event in the history of the world, the death of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now what can we learn based on this text. There are three things I'd like to meditate with you today. The first one is the complete darkness that we see in this passage. But secondly, the ripped curtain, the torn curtain in the temple. And then thirdly, the soldier's confession, the soldier's confession. So let's look at the first one, the complete darkness. In verse 3, it says, at the sixth hour, Darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now the sixth hour was noon. Jews have a way of dividing the day based on um, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the twelfth hour. And so the sixth hour was noon, and the ninth hour was about three o'clock. And so from twelve noon to three o'clock, the Bible tells us that there was absolute darkness. It was complete darkness. Now, scholars, okay, upon looking at this particular event that transpired before Jesus died, they are saying that this is something mysterious. This is something that is inexplainable. This darkness, this complete, total darkness is supernatural. It cannot be explained unless you see it as a miraculous, supernatural darkness that came down at the moment of Jesus' death. Now, the Bible really con contrasts light and darkness. That's what we see in the Bible. There's always a contrast between, a contrast between light and darkness. So, for example, in Genesis 1, there was darkness on the surface of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God created order out of chaos, out of darkness. God illumined the created world. There was darkness, there was formlessness, and then there was the light, and then there was order. In the last book of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, we are told that we are given a city that is full of light. 
The world will be like a city that is full of light. It says this in Revelation 21:23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. The lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On that day, there will be no more night. You see, the Bible tells us that light is the embodiment of God's pleasure. Light is the representation of God's favor, God's blessing, God's pleasure. But night is the absence of light. Night is God's dissatisfaction. Night speaks of God's displeasure. It speaks of God's judgment. That is why the Bible tells us that Christians are called the light of the world. God has called us out of the world into His marvelous light, taken out of darkness into the light of His Son. In Psalm 27 verse 1, it says this, God is my light and my salvation. You see, when Jesus comes to judge the world, the sun and the stars and the moon will no longer give light. That's what's going to happen. The sun and the stars and the moon, the heavenly bodies will be falling out from the sky. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 23 says this, On the day of judgment I look at the earth, and it was formless and empty, and the heavens and their light was gone. In Isaiah 13 verses 9 and 10, See the day of the Lord's judgment, the rising sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. In fact, listen to this. This is fascinating because in Exodus chapter 10, there was three days of complete darkness. In Exodus 10, before the final plague. What's the final plague? It's the death of the firstborn. So before the death of the firstborn in Exodus 11, what you have in Exodus 10 is the plague of complete darkness for three days. And here... In the Gospel of Mark, before the death of the firstborn of the whole creation, Jesus is called the firstborn of creation. Before the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, there was absolute darkness. Three hours of darkness. And you know, this darkness is complete darkness. That's why it's a supernatural, unexplained darkness. But some people, you know, they cannot believe that this is a supernatural darkness, so they explain it away. They say that this darkness that happened before the death of Jesus was actually a solar eclipse. <laughs> they said that it's a solar eclipse. Well, it's not possible that this is a solar eclipse because the longest solar eclipse that was ever recorded in history was only about seven minutes. And it will take a while before it happens, and then it take a while before it unhappens. And we know that the feast of the Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread, always happens in the time of the full moon. And solar eclipse cannot happen at the time of the full moon. Some others would say that this is a Sirocco. What is a Sirocco? They said it's a sandstorm that will sweep the entire place with sand so that it becomes absolute darkness for several days. But that is also impossible because the Passover happens during the wet season. And the sandstorms can only happen during the dry season, during the summertime. But this is during the wet season. 
So the only possible and plausible explanation of this supernatural darkness is that this is the miracle of God. God is showing us something here. God is teaching us something. God is telling us something. Because when this happened for three hours, God wants us to understand what this is all about. And what is this, Pastor? What is this darkness? Well, it says in Luke 22, verse 53, Jesus said to those who came to arrest him, Jesus said to the chief priest and the elders, he said this, this is your hour when darkness reigns. What, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus is saying that this darkness is a picture of everything that is wrong in the world. You see, sin brings darkness in the world, and sin brings darkness in the human heart. The Bible says we all have sinned, and we all turned away from God. We turned away from God as the center of our lives, as the center of our world. You see, if God is the center, then He is the light. The Bible tells us that God is like the sun. You see, why is it that the Bible says in Psalm 84 verse 11, God is like the sun? Why? Well, because the sun is the source of truth. Because through the sun, you can see everything else. Through the sun, you see reality. You cannot see reality without the sun. The sun is the source of truth, and the sun is the source of life. And if you orbit around God, if you center on God, if you center your life on the sun, then you have truth and you have life. If you center on anything but God, if you center your life on money or anything or love or family or beauty, if you center your life on anything, if something is more important in your life than God, then you will lose warmth, you will lose hope, you will lose life, you will lose truth. You may go to church. You may even be, you know, writing down the sermons of the pastor. You may be praying a lot. You may be reading your Bible. But if you're centering on something that is not God, the result is no truth, no light, and therefore spiritual darkness. Now, what is spiritual darkness, my brothers? Because this is really about spiritual darkness. So what is spiritual darkness? Well, here's what it is. Spiritual darkness is disorientation. If you are in the dark and it's absolute darkness, you can't see even what's in front of you. You can't see your hand. If you are in an absolute darkness, you put your hand up like that. You can't even see your hand. Total darkness leads to disorientation. It leads to disorientation. It leads to lack of purpose. It leads to lack of life. You don't know what you're doing. Even though you think you know what you're doing, even though you think that this is about you doing things that will make you more uh, wealthier, more beautiful, you know, more popular, even if you get those things, you are still in the darkness because those things are not big enough to satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. Have you heard of a man by the name of Ernest Shackleton? This is in 1914. He recruited men to explore Antarctica in a ship that's called Endurance. And so they are going to explore the South Pole through this powerful, huge ship. But what happened was they were not able to do that because their ship got stuck in, um, 
in the polar ice. And so they had to trek by foot, and luckily they all survived. And Ernest Shackleton said that of all the things that they have to face in the solar po in the solar in the South Pole, such as starvation, incredible cold temperatures, he said the worst thing that we experienced was the absolute darkness. Because according to Ernest Shackleton, in the South Pole, from mid-May to July, you don't see the sun. The sun goes down in mid-May, and then you will not see the sun again until mid-July. And so he says that that was the worst thing we have ever experienced. There's no sunlight for three months. And the biographer of Ernest Shackleton says this, In all the world, there is no desolation more complete than the polar night. No warmth, no life, no movement. Only those who have experienced it can fully understand what it means to be without the sun. Day after day and week after week, few unaccustomed to it can fight off its effects altogether and it has driven some men mad. You see, in utter darkness, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you look like. You can't see yourself. You can't tell whether there's someone near you, whether that person is your enemy or your friend. And you know, spiritually speaking, anything that's more important to you than Jesus will result in a lack of purpose in your life. You do not know where you're going. If your life is all about money and you get that, you are still going to feel empty. Why? Because that money, all the money in the world, will not satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. So spiritual darkness is actually disorientation. But listen to this. Spiritual darkness is also disintegration. It's also disintegration. Darkness and disintegration go together. So for example, if you take a plant... Even if it's a house plant, if you take a plant away out of the light for a long time, what happens to that plant? It will wither. Nothing blooms in the darkness. There's no thriving in the darkness. There's no life in the darkness. Everything will decay in the darkness. Take away the sun and we are done. We are doomed. The world will be in darkness and the world will begin to disintegrate. And see, spiritually speaking, darkness will disintegrate you. And C.S. Lewis says this in The Great Divorce, in that dark city, people are moving farther and farther away from each other. You see, darkness disintegrates relationships. Even if you love each other, if you are not centering on God, that love that you have for one another, okay? A husband and wife, for example, in marriage, no matter how great your love is for your spouse, that will lead to disintegration if that love is not centered on Jesus. Listen, if two people love each other, that's wonderful, right? But if they love each other more than they love God, if they build their lives more on each other than the love that they have for God or the love that God has for them, then if they begin to fight, minor fights will become major fights, and major fights will become world-shaking di disaster of apocalyptic proportion. Why? Well, because you can't take the other person's displeasure. You can't take the other, per other person's failure. Because your world, if it's revolving on that person, and that person make a mistake, see, your world is done. Your world is over. Because if you center on anything but God, the spiritual darkness leads to disintegration. Let me give you another, another example. In The Lord of the Rings, my favorite movie of all time, okay, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, 
And then the Hobbit, of course. In the Lord of the Rings, you have Gollum, right? Gollum is the best example of disintegration. Gollum is obsessed with the precious ring, right? He's always saying, this ring, oh, my precious, my precious. You see, the ring is an object to him that defined everything about him. All of his life is all about the ring. And the more he gets obsessed with getting that ring, Gollum begins to disintegrate. His life unravels. He be, it begins to unravel. He moves from being a kind, lovely, joyful, happy, friendly, relational smiggle, a hobbit, to becoming Gollum. Gollum is this shadowy creature, this dark, brooding, decaying, emaciated, isolated person. That this golem is described by Tolkien as this. He develops stronger and stronger hatred for the sun and the moon. So that when he sees the sun, he says, yellow face, it burns. And he only travels by night. And he becomes a recluse. He moves from being a hobbit to being a shadow. To being a shell of his former self. Of the person that God wants him to be. Of the person that he was meant to be. Of the person that he was supposed to be. From a joyful person to becoming a decaying person. You see, that's disintegration. And sin and darkness leads to disintegration and disorientation, you see. That's the darkness. And that's why God is showing us this incredible supernatural darkness. Because this is a representation of us, of our world, of our brokenness, of sin, of our darkness in our own hearts. And then we see this ripped curtain. Okay, In verse 38 it says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn in, uh, in two from top to bottom. Now this is an incredible curtain, okay? That is in the temple. It's thick. It is great curtain. And it is a separate, it is a curtain that separates the most holy place from the rest of the temple. The most holy place is a place that only one person can go in once a year on the most holy day from the most holy people. The most holy person can only enter into that place. And who is that? The great high priest. And you know, that is a representation of us being separated from God. But the complete darkness that Jesus experienced is actually the darkness that was supposed to come down upon us. But Jesus experienced that darkness, and the darkness of the human heart and the human evil came to Jesus. That is why on that cross, as Jesus was experiencing this separation from God, as we are separated from the holiness of God, represented by this curtain, Jesus on that cross was, was crying out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That means that everything that's human evil can throw to Jesus. It was thrown to Jesus. Jesus was getting what? The judgment of God. The anger and the wrath of God upon our sinfulness was coming down on Jesus. The wrath of God and the plagues of the uh, horror of disorientation and, and the horror of disintegration was coming down upon Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us this, that Jesus is the one who holds the universe by his power. 
He is the one who holds everything together. He is the one who's sustaining the universe together. And yet we see that on that cross, Jesus was falling apart. Jesus was disintegrated on that cross. The one who created the universe and the one who's sustaining the universe was becoming uncreated. The one who made everything was becoming unmade. Why? Because Jesus was suffering for the punishment of our sins. For the punishment of our sins, he was taking the punishment upon himself. You know, listen to this. The spear on Jesus' side, the mocking, the suffocation, the torture, the thorns, okay? The crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and his feet, those things are nothing. Those are mosquito bites compared compared to the great suffering of Jesus. And what is that? The suffering of being separated from God. You see, that's what hell is all about. You see, uh, people can be crucified on that cross and they become stoic. They become, you know, they are able to handle the pain, the torture and all of that. But Jesus Christ was suffering not because of the nails, not because of the mocking, not because of the, the spear on his side. Jesus was suffering the separation that he was experiencing from the presence of God. And what is that? It's hell. Did you know that in the gospel in Matthew 22 verse 13, Jesus says this, he described hell as this, it is the place of outer darkness. Outside the presence of God, outside the love of God, outside the embrace of God, that is hell. Hell is the absence of God. And Mark is showing us here that Jesus is experiencing hell. All of our hell combined. All of our darkness combined. And why is he doing that? Mark is showing us that the darkness of Jesus Christ is the only way it is the only way that we can be freed from our darkness. The darkness of Jesus is the only way that we can be delivered from our darkness. The darkness of Jesus Christ is what will dispel our darkness. The darkness of Jesus Christ is what will destroy the darkness of the world. Jesus suffered hell so that you and I will not suffer hell forever. That is why in verse 38, it tells us this. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And so you see this great curtain, right? This great curtain represents our separation from God. There's only one person who can get in there. And even if that person gets in there, you see, there is no assurance that that person will come out alive. Because if that person has not confessed his sins, if that person has unconfessed sins, that person will not come alive. Even though he is the great high priest, he needs to bring in a blood sacrifice for God. For God to forgive the sins of the people. And if his sins are not confessed before the presence of a holy God, that priest is done. And so every priest that goes into the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies represents the holiness of God. It represents the Shekinah glory of God. This priest that goes in there, the high priest, you know, his leg is tied. There is a rope so that if he falls dead, they will just pull him out of there. You see, this is, this is an incredible, incredible picture of how God is so holy that he cannot tolerate sin. Only the most holy person in the most holy day from the most holy people bringing a sacrifice of blood before God for the forgiveness of the sins of the people 
can he go in there? And if you go into the temple, the temple has a lot of restrictions. You, if you are a Gentile, you can only go to the Gentile court. If you are a woman, you can only go to the woman's court. You cannot go beyond the woman's court. You cannot go beyond the Gentile court. If you are a priest, you can only go into the holy place. Only the great high priest can enter into the most holy place. You see, the most holy place, the holy place, okay, the outer court, the Gentile court, the women court. There's always separation going on. Why? This is telling us that there is no access for you into the very presence of God. No matter how hard you work hard for your spiritual life, no matter how many times you sacrifice, no matter how much penance you do, no matter how many offerings you make, no matter how many washings and cleansings, you will never get all the way into the very presence of God, to the innermost holy place. But listen, church, here's the great news. The minute Jesus Christ died, this thick curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Now imagine this, it was ripped, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. Now this means that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that will end all sacrifices. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us, that Jesus Christ is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, who will take all the sins of the world upon him, so that if you believe in him, Okay? You can enter into the very presence of the most holy God. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, anybody can go in. The Gentiles can go in. The women can go in. The sinners can go in. The lepers can go in. You cannot have a holy communion with God unless you go through Jesus Christ. You see, you don't have to be moral. You don't have to be righteous. You don't have to be, you know, a religious person in order for you to enter the kingdom of God. All you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. All you need is to recognize that Jesus Christ died on that cross to save you from your sins. That is the only way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, there's no other name given by heaven in which a man will be saved, but only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ's death, the moment he died, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. That means the door is now open for people to go into the presence of God. That means you are welcome to him. No matter what your past was, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you were in your past, you can come into his presence through Jesus Christ. But that's not only what it means. It means also this, that now we can go in, right? We can enter into the presence of God. But the ripping of the temple from top to bottom means this, that God is now able to come out into the world. What does that mean? It means that God can now dwell in the world, in the hearts of man. God can now inhabit the soul of a sinful man. Salvation is the life of God in the soul of man. God can now dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we become the temple of God. Amen. That's what it means. The curtain ripping from top to bottom means God can now dwell in the soul of man. We become the temple. You know, in the past, you only have to go to the temple to get forgiveness, to get justice, to get love, to get forgiveness of your sin, to get all of those mercy and compassion that you need before God to confess your sins. But now, God comes out of that most sacred place so that God can live in our hearts. Now, there are so many passages about this 
Jesus says this, God is seeking for those who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. You can be a child of God when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 to 22 says this, listen, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now this means that you don't need to go to the temple anymore. You don't need the temple anymore to connect with God. You can talk to God anytime. You can open your heart to God anytime. There is mercy, there is healing, and there is salvation. Now, how does God give this message to the world? It's through us. It's through the church. It's through Christians. The moment the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you become the temple of God, and you become God's light and God's source of blessing to the world. And that comes through you. Do you, do you. Can you imagine how great and how amazing this is? That because of your faith in Jesus, God is sending you out into the world, and God is saying, you are now my temple. And people can enter in me, can make me their Lord and Savior through you, by your life, by your words, by your deeds. The Bible says we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Jesus says you are my people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can you imagine the great compelling truth that God has given us as Christians that you and I are God's temples in the world? You know, you work in a hospital, you are God's temple there for people to know God. You work in the world, you are God's temple there. That's why Jesus Christ was praying so hard for his people, for his church. What did Jesus pray? In John 17, Father, I pray that they will love one another so that the world will know that you have sent me. And Jesus said, Father, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one so that the world will know that I am sent, that I have been sent by you. And then Jesus was praying for us, praying for our holiness, praying for our obedience to him, praying for our love for one another, praying for our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it means. When the temple, when the curtain was ripped, we can now become the temple of God. God comes out of that place to live in you, to live in your heart through the Holy Spirit. The moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now going to be used by God as his temple in the world. Amen, church. Are you excited? That's amazing, isn't it? And then... Here's the last one, the soldier's confession. In verse 39, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how Jesus died. Now I want you to understand this. He saw how Jesus died. And when he saw the whole thing from beginning to end, from the moment they were putting those nails in his hands and feet. He saw everything, and when he saw Jesus died, he said, Surely this is the Son, or this was the Son of God. Now what does that mean? Listen, 
In Mark chapter 1 verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Mark, it says this, Jesus the Son of God. And all throughout the gospel of Mark, nobody gets it. Nobody has been able to understand who Jesus is. Every time Jesus does a miracle, people are asking, who is this? Who is this? Every time Jesus proclaimed truth with authority, people are saying, who is this man? Who is this man? Nobody gets it. Not even the disciples. Not even the disciples. The first one to actually understand that Jesus is the Son of God is the centurion. That's what Mark is showing us. That's why the curtain was ripped from top to bottom because anybody can go in. And who is this centurion? He's a Roman soldier. The most hardened soldiers in the Roman army would be the centurion. They are battle-hardened. They have killed so many people. This man is brutal. This man is merciless. This man had seen so many, many battles. This man was an enlisted person in the army, and so he rose from that rank, from the rank and file. He rose because of his ability, his ability to fight, and his ability to just kill people. This was a brutal man. And he had already executed a lot of the Roman uh, enemies on that cross. And he knows what they're doing. He knows what, they're, what he's seeing. Every time he killed somebody there, every time he crucified somebody, he knows, oh, this is just like all of them. But the moment he looks at Jesus, the moment Jesus died on that cross, he says, this is different. Amazing. It's amazing how much he loved his father, and he's calling God his father. It's amazing, the intimacy, calling God, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's amazing that he obeys God, even though he was being damned. He was though, even though he was being condemned on that cross, he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I imagine this man is looking at Jesus, no anger in his words, no bitterness, no no resentment. Jesus Christ is not cursing people. Jesus Christ is not saying, if I come, out, come down from this cross, I'm going to get all of you. No, he was looking at Jesus and he was saying, this, this is amazing. He saw how Jesus died. The first man to be able to claim that this was really the Son of God. Because he was able to see the Lord. He was able to hear the cry of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was able to see the tenderness of Jesus. Even though he was pierced. Even though he was in the darkness. He looked at this Jesus who was dying on that cross. And he says, this man is different. And the Holy Spirit opened his eyes so that he sees the relationship between Jesus and the Father, the intimacy of Jesus and the Father, and he sees the gentleness of Jesus, and he sees the relationship of Jesus, and he sees the obedience of Jesus. Remember on that cross, Jesus was obeying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he willingly gave his life. See, Jesus said this. Jesus said, nobody can take my life away from me. I give it. Out of my own desire, out of my love for you, I give my life away. Father, forgive them. Gentle, humble, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Now, let me end with this application. If you are a Christian, are you trusting God in your time of suffering? Are you looking to God as a father who is wise and good? 
who is sovereign over all things? Do you see how much He loves you? You know, Psalm 28 verse 7 says, says this, 28 verse 7 of Psalm, God is my shield. God is my son and my shield. Now, some of you would say, well, pastor, if God is my shield, why is it that I'm suffering? Why is it that I'm being in pain? Why is it that I'm facing all of these problems? If God is my shield, well, don't you understand? As I reflect on this, don't you understand that that suffering that you are going through right now is God's shield? God is sparing you from the greater danger that will come. You see, the Apostle Paul, to keep me from being proud, to keep me me from being boastful God has not answered my prayer for the removal of this thorn in the flesh God was shielding the heart of the Apostle Paul and the way that God uses to shield his heart is by that thorn in the flesh maybe you are suffering right now don't you understand God is shielding you and the bad thing in the eyes of the world that's happening to Jesus, that's actually God shielding us from the ultimate judgment, from the ultimate darkness, from the ultimate separation, and the ultimate alienation. Jesus Christ dying on that cross is God's shield for you. And if you believe that, if you believe that God loves you to the very end, if you believe that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, and that you have a Father who is absolutely wise and absolutely good and absolutely loving and everything that he allows in your life he allows it for a purpose so that you will be shielded from the greater danger that is to come the danger of God's judgment do you believe that the moment you believe that you say thank you Lord help me to trust you even in bad times help me to trust you even when I'm suffering help me not to complain not to grumble but to love you because of what you're doing in my life you're actually shielding me believe in him and you don't have to worry about anything it doesn't matter doesn't matter because no matter what happens to you it's going to be all right you are in the light and his light is in you and because you are in the light there's no more darkness in you see God is shielding you from the ultimate darkness that will come upon the world let's pray thank you father for giving us the assurance that Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived, but we could never live that life. And Jesus died the death that we should have died, and that will be our judgment. But Jesus took upon himself, Lord, to live the perfect life so that we can live, we can be clothed in righteousness. And Jesus died on that cross so that our sins can be forgiven. I pray that you will help us to receive this with hope, to receive this with humility, and to accept that no matter what's happening to us, we know that your light and your truth is shielding us, and that your way is the way of righteousness it is the way of holiness it is the way of love so we ask that you help us to live our lives with the assurance of your great love with the assurance of your mercy help us to live this life with hope for we ask it in the name of jesus christ our lord amen <laughs>